Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session with TBA rabbinic intern Cheva Lerman. Usually I err towards if we're reading something, we should study from it. But this morning, because we have the double Parsha and it's a lot to read and we weren't going to get there in the Torah reading, I decided let's study something from Pekude so that it gets its, its moment in the light. Um, so, the, so we start here with a verse that begins Parshat Pekude. These are the records of the Mishkan, Mishkan Ha'edut, which were drawn up at Moses' bidding, the work of the Levites, under the direction of Itamar, son of Aaron, the priest. So we're still building the Mishkan. It's still happening. It's been two Torah portions. It's actually been more, like three and a half Torah portions so far. And, um, and now we're talking about it. Uh, again, and Rashi has a comment on this. Does somebody want to read Rashi's comment? You can read it in the English. Sure, go ahead. Okay, so Rashi jumps in and says the Mishkan was testimony to B'nai Yisrael because of the golden calf. Uh, let's go first to Nechama Leibowitz's classic question, what's bothering Rashi? Why is this Rashi's comment on this pasuk? Ben? Right. How is God okay with us making a Mishkan after we just had the golden calf incident? Aren't we supposed to all be dead? Uh, Norm? The witnessing Mishkan. Yes, exactly. So Rashi's attaching to this phrase, Mishkan Ha'idut, which we've never seen before in Torah up until this point. And really, we won't see again until prophets. Uh, so it's a very unusual usage of the term. Did I see a hand back there? Right. They need to keep their hands busy so they're doing the right thing. And what does that have to do with a dude? What is a dude? What does it mean? It's translated, you translate it as witnessing, which uh, makes a lot of sense. What does that mean, though, to have a mishkan of witnessing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the mishkan is, in a sense, the token of uh, the pact between God and the people of Israel. Would that, yes? Um, yeah, Liana? Mm. So I'm hearing you say both the Mishkan is watching us and is the thing keeping us on track, and also the Mishkan is like God's binoculars, you know, God's way in to watch us. So it could be either a thing unto itself or a vehicle for God's oversight. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's something fully present with us that keeps us on track because we see it and we know that, that, that it reminds us where we should be and how we should be as humans and as Jews. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So in, in a sense, more than a contract, it's almost like a monument, right, That where you see it and it reminds you of a state of mind or something you should be remembering and, and being cognizant of every day. Um, how, how would you define Mishkan? Let's take this a little bit bigger before we go smaller. How would you define Mishkan as a word? We talk about the Mishkan a lot in these parshiot, right? We've spent a lot of text uh, going through all of the ornate buildings of the Mishkan. We're talking about the cloth and the 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 minorot on it, and the you know all of the adornment. So, what's a Mishkan? Mm. That's beautiful. So that'll. <laughs> 
it's good when we're in agreement. <laughs> so um, that'll bring us well into the commentary of the Svaramet on this section. Svaramet is a Hasidic commentator, and he says he takes this Mishkan Ha'idut phrase, and he says. Uh, much like what we've been saying so far, it witnessed to Israel that God had truly forgiven them for making the golden calf. For now, God was causing God's presence to dwell among them. Why did they need this witness? Well, Israel had been deeply disgraced by that sin. And now God gave the people the Mishkan as witness in order to strengthen their hearts. So that's relating to what we're saying around it. It focuses our minds and, and emboldens and empowers us to remain committed to the covenant and show that they had indeed repaired the damage wrought by their sin. So it's also kind of a token by the Israelites to say, no, 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 God, we're really on track here. We, we, we're going to do it right this time from here on forward. The fact is that Israel are God's witnesses. As it says in Isaiah, you are my witnesses. So this introduces this idea, not that the Mishkan is witness for us, that, but that we are God's witnesses and we stand by God and say that God exists and God is one. Um, but how is it possible that Israel, who are created to bear witness to God's oneness, could themselves worship idols? This thought caused Israel to neglect their witnessing until God had to demonstrate that the sin was incidental to who they were, brought on by the mixed multitude. And that's a fraught statement. Um, they, for background, um, the mixed multitude is a term that we use or that is mentioned when the Israelites are leaving uh, Egypt. And it says they left uh, Egypt as an Arab Rav. Um, now, as someone who's about to graduate rabbinical school, I also receive the term Arab Rav sometimes, which is a little bit complicated because Arab Rav has a very negative connotation in Torah. <laughs> Uh, Erev Rav in rabbinical school means you're about to become Rav. Erev Rav in Torah means you are, uh, that it was a mixed multitude. And that means there's like an implication of a lack of purity there, right? There's a, and, and unfortunately, although it doesn't say this in Torah, in rabbinic tradition, it often gets applied to like the Jewish community is sullied by like a mixture of, you know, people who are Jewish or faithful or the right way to be Jewish or something like that. So it's a really complicated term that uh, the Svaramet is, uh, is bringing into this moment, uh, but we don't have to accept I would say we don't have to accept exactly the way that the rabbis interpret it. Erev Rav means mixed, and mixed can mean many things. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's, to, to say that the Mishkan brings us into Tshuva is perfect. We don't even need to read the rest of the Svaramet right now because that's exactly what he says. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the rabbis, in fact, teach that Israel were not deserving of sin upon them. The sin came upon them only to teach the way of Tshuva, and it came to teach every person who returns not to let oneself fall too low in one's eyes because by tshuva we're restored to where we were before. Uh, so that, and Svaramet continues, that's why in Yom Kippur, the day of forgiveness and atonement, it's followed by Sukkot, right, where we dwell in a mishka, in, in a dwelling place, a holy dwelling place, um, and Sukkot started as a pilgrimage festival. So it was a moment in which the Shrina dwelt in the temple. Uh, and so the Svaramet says that this, is, this gives strength to all who are looking to do tshuva, that once they do tshuva, they'll be in a place where God dwells. So in all of these things, I want to ask you, what do you, because I'm cognizant of the time and I would hate to keep you from Musaf. Um, so... Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm curious what you consider a modern Mishkan, 
right? Because we don't have a temple and we don't have a tabernacle, uh, but we do have community. And remember, and I call back to what Rabbi Schatz said at the beginning, that this building of the Mishkan started with Moses Vayakhel Moshe, right? That he, he brought the community together to build the Mishkan. So what is the Mishkan today? And what, to what does that bear witness? In the back, yeah. Amen. And we get enriched by the diversity of our Jewish community, right? It's, it's, a, um, it's a boon to us now and a blessing and not, not a, you know, a yoke upon our back. Could everyone hear what Liana said? Yeah, that was beautiful. Thank you. That's beautiful. And I think one of the things that we do when we show up to Minyanim to bring these two together is that we allow space for Torah to be read and then we can say Misha Berach or we allow or or Birkata Gomel or we allow space for someone to say Kaddish, right? Like by there are many things that we do in our day-to-day lives outside of shul in which we alleviate suffering of others. And also by coming together and connecting with each other, we both alleviate suffering here and we strengthen ourselves and remind ourselves on how to do that when we go out. Other thoughts on what a modern Mishkan might be bearing witness to? I see almost a hand? Yes. Okay, go ahead, Deb. <laughs> yeah. and, and we hope that everyone can make peace and feel safe in their own homes too. Mm. Um, much like Heschel's understanding of Shabbat as a palace in time, right? That it creates a mishkan in time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, France. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Leona. Uh, yes, last two, and then we'll wrap up. Witness. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I appreciate the note on intent because it speaks also to, like, what is our intent when we are building mishkanot among us, right? Like, what does it mean when we are coming to community and we um, decide to show up and we show up for different reasons and then we don't have a uniform intent, much like Beverly Hills, you know, residents don't have a uniform intent or, you know, city managers don't have a uniform intent in how they, you know, construct the surveillance system. But, um, but what's important is that the collective finds a central uh, kind of set of intentions, much like we are reminded of every time we read the commandments and every time we observe Shabbat, that, um, that grounds us in the right values, right? So even if we don't find homogeneity among us, we can find uh, an agreement to be ethical. Yeah. Yeah. So it absolutely can be a natural environment. And there's two thoughts I have to, to, in response to that. One is that this Chizkuni text that we haven't really gone into, but in the middle of the second page, speaks to how Mishkan as a term gets used for non-holy purposes, particularly in the story of Korach, where Korach is rebelling and going to get destroyed, and his dwelling place is called a Mishkan. Right, so it does. It relates back to what Rabbi Shad said about like Mishkan can be like related to the word Shchuna, right? To just dwell a place in which somebody dwells. Um, but the, what makes this Mishkan Mishkan Ha'idu different is that it contains Chizkuni says it contains the Luchot uh, It contains the tablets of the the Ten Commandments, and thus this Mishkan has holiness in it, and. Um, and that's part of why it's so beautifully built, and that's why it's so beautifully loved. Uh, and that's why God says, mishkan like they will make me a mishkan and I'll dwell among them, that this is God's mishkan. And I can't imagine a time in which I feel more present in God's mishkan than when I'm looking at, say, the, the wonder of Yosemite Valley, right? And 
what that says to me is that that's a place that God built, but we need to preserve, right? That there's, there's a witness both to God's wonder and also to our responsibility in that covenant to make that space continue to hold God's presence, right? And continue to be beautiful and holy and a testament to God's amazing wonder. And, um, and so, you know, Amen, let's protect national parks, but also, uh, you know, that, that wherever we gather, let's find a sense of intentionality, let's find a sense of holiness, and let's dwell in that space together. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.